1 Thessalonians chapter 5, we're going to start in verse 20 all the way to the end of the chapter. 1 Thessalonians 5, starting in verse 20. He goes on and says, Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. As I said in my prayer tonight, there's a tendency for us to think that this last little section where obviously Paul's, as he does a lot of times in his letters, throwing the last little bits of instruction together, there's a tendency to think that this isn't as important as other parts. But I want to remind you of 2 Timothy 3. So we got a finger here in 1 Thessalonians. Go over to 2 Timothy chapter 3. Look at verses 16 and 17. Paul says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Now, some would say, well, is Paul saying that his letters are Scripture? Well, actually, Scripture says that Paul's letters are Scripture. At the end of 1 Peter, we won't take the time to turn there, but at the end of 1 Peter, Paul talks about, I'm sorry, Peter talks about the fact that people try to take the Scriptures and twist them. And they even talked about, he talked about the fact that people would try to take Paul's writings and twist them. And then he makes this statement, as they do the other scriptures. In other words, Peter himself, God, through Peter, through the Holy Spirit, said that Paul's writing was scripture. So if all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable, let's not quickly bring 1 Thessalonians to a close and just think, well, that's just real quick, you know, don't spice prophecies, blah, blah, blah. We're going to break this down in the time that we have tonight, and we have to finish because we're going to finish tonight, and we're going to kick back in next week in 2 Thessalonians. But what we're going to do is we're going to take some time to really dig into and unpack these verses. So look at verse 20 again. He says, Don't despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Now, Paul in these verses is teaching about hearing the word of God and listening for God's spirit's leading. And while we do, recognizing that there will be other voices trying to speak as if they were God or from God. Don't miss that. I'm going to read it to you again. Paul in these verses is going to be teaching us about hearing the word of God and listening for God's spirit's leading as we hear the word of God. And while we do, also recognizing that there will be other voices trying to speak as if they were God or from God. In other words, just because someone says they're from God doesn't mean they're from God. Just because someone's quoting the Bible doesn't mean they're quoting it correctly. Yet at the same time, as Paul says, he says, don't despise prophecies. In other words, if someone proclaims or preaches and says something to you from God, don't just automatically reject it because God actually speaks through people we don't expect him to sometimes. Would you not agree? I mean, let's be honest, if I were to ask you years ago, if you'd never read your Bible, would ever God talk to it, God ever talked you through a donkey? You would say, no. Well, actually, we know that God did one time to a guy named Balaam. His donkey, actually, God spoke through his donkey. 
And at the same time, I've learned over the years that there are certain people that I don't fully agree with all of their theology, and I'm sure there's some don't agree fully with my theology, but at the same time, I don't just chuck everything they say because I also know that God may speak through them to me. I have to learn how to not disregard prophecies, but test everything, hold fast to what lines up with the Word of God, and stay away from the stuff that isn't. Actually, the Bible teaches us that we're to do this. Go to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4, look at verses 1 through 6. It says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they're from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus has come in the flesh is from God. And every... Excuse me, every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and is now in the world already. Little children, you're from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who's in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world and the world listens to them. We are from God and whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God doesn't listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of of error. Now, this is very, very important that we understand what Paul's saying. Sorry, John's saying here in this section. John is saying, look, we need to test the spirits to see whether or not they're from God. You're going to hear a lot of people, and especially in this day and age in which we live with social media and the Internet, there's lots of people that are all of a sudden Bible teachers and so on out there. And how are you going to know who's teaching the truth? Well, first off, the spirit of God within you is going to help you recognize truth from error. Second of all, that's why you need to know the word of God. So that you'll be able to recognize, recognize who's talking. Now, I also know, because I've run across them and I've had them come talk to me. There are some people that actually believe that God doesn't talk anymore. That he's already spoken. We've been given his word and all we need is the word of God. And so they reject any idea that God would speak to you today. Lord, whom shall I marry? God's not going to tell you that because God's not talking anymore. He's already talked. And there's a bunch of people in Christendom that feel this way. The problem I have with that is multifaceted. But one of them is the fact that 1 John says that we're to test the spirits to see if they are from God. So if God's not talking, every spirit that's talking to me is a demon spirit. and I don't have to listen to them. But if I'm to test which one's from God and which one's not from God, sounds like God's still talking. They do this because they're worried about the false teachers and they're worried about those people that would lead you astray. And to control that, they just say, don't listen to anybody. God doesn't talk anymore, but he still does. And I've said this to you before, and I want to illustrate it to you again. If you just take the Bible as a rule book and you try to interpret it without the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, it's going to mess you up. Because over the years, well, if you remember, I, I've written a book called Eight Principles of a God-Centered Church. And one of the principles is how God doesn't duplicate a method and how I learned over the years that even though God doesn't change and his word will never change and his truth will never change and his principles will never change, God never did the same thing the same way twice. He kept changing his methods. And as I was teaching on this at a pastor's conference many years ago, a guy came up to me afterwards and he said, I got a problem with what you're saying. I see what you're saying, but I got a problem with it. He said, we were taught in our denomination that when you see how Paul did it, 
You just teach everybody, that's how Paul did it, that's how you did it. You see how Jesus did it, you take what Jesus said, and you just say to them, that's how you do it. We've been taught that the Bible, you just see how it happened, and then you just teach everybody to do it. I said, I understand that, but here's the problem with that. I see Jesus in one instance, in Matthew chapter 15, the disciples come to him and they said, don't you realize what you just said offended the Pharisees? And Jesus said, pretty much, who cares? They're blind leaders of the blind. Let them go. Yet, in John chapter 3, when Jesus said, For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life, He was having an intimate, loving conversation with a Pharisee named Nicodemus. So how do you treat Pharisees? Ignore them and let them go? Or do you reach out to them in love? And you've got to let the Spirit of God show you when and how. I could go on. In Acts chapter 16, Paul's in a Roman colony of Philippi. He casts the demon out of the demons out of these girls, and he gets arrested, put in chains, beaten, and thrown in an inner cell. Chapter 22 of Acts, he's about to be beaten by another group of Romans, and he stops them and he says, Are you guys allowed to beat a Roman citizen? Because there was a law that if you, if you were a Roman citizen, you couldn't be arrested, you couldn't be put in chains, you couldn't be beaten until after you had been tried and found guilty. And if anybody beat you before the trial, they were to be beaten. So in Acts 22, Paul pulls out his Roman citizen card and he says, hey, are you allowed to beat a Roman citizen without a trial? They said, wait a minute, you're a Roman citizen? He goes, yeah. The centurion, the Roman centurion says, I had to pay a high price to become a Roman citizen. Paul said, I was born one. When they realized that he was a Roman citizen, they quickly let him go. Well, wait a minute. Why didn't he pull out his Roman citizen card in Acts 16? It was a Roman. Some people said, well, Jim, maybe Paul didn't know about it in Acts 16. And between Acts 16 and Acts 22, someone said, hey, Paul, you didn't have to take the beating. There's this Roman law. No, Paul knew about it because if you read the rest of the story in Acts 16, after they've been beaten, the magistrates send some people to release them, and Paul says, no, 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 no. You had those guys come publicly release us because they beat us publicly, two Roman citizens without a trial. And when they realized they had beaten Roman citizens, they were scared, and they came and they asked him to leave their city. Some say, well, well, maybe Paul was a Roman citizen and Silas wasn't. No, 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 listen to what Paul said. That you beat us two Roman citizens. There's only one answer, folks. In that one instance, in Acts 16, the Spirit of God must have told him, I know you can avoid the beating, but in this instance, I want you to keep your Roman citizen card in your pocket. Take the beating. And now, from hindsight, we see that through that, the jailer and his family get saved. But do you see the danger of taking Acts 16 and saying that that's what you're to always do, always take the beating? No, because other times the Spirit of God's going to say, I don't want you to take the beating here. You can avoid it. Well, how are you going to know? That's where you're going to have to learn how to test the spirits to see whether or not they're from God. Folks, this relationship that we've been given by God with Him is an intimate relationship where He said, my sheep know my voice, where we actually are going to be led by Him. I actually read today, speaking to the men at Men in Motion from Isaiah chapter 30, where the Jews were promised that in the end, when they come to faith, they're going to hear a voice that tells them, this is the way, walk in it, whether you go right or left. Oh, and by the way, we have that now. The Spirit of God within us wants to lead us and guide us and direct us. But you have to learn to recognize this is from God and this is not from God. I've always told people, and years ago I heard this one preacher put it this way. He said, if you hear a voice that tells you to strip yourself naked, paint yourself blue, and then stand in your picture window to tell people about Jesus, you better check for some ID from the voice you just listened to. 
That doesn't match up with the Word of God. As you seek whether or not what you're sensing is from God, does it line up with the Word of God? Oh, I could go on. In the scripture we see in John chapter 11, Martha comes to Jesus and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And Jesus gives Martha a sermon. Yet a few verses later, Mary comes, says the exact same word. She doesn't change a word. Lord, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And Jesus cries with her. So what are we supposed to do when some people are struggling? Do we just give them a sermon or do we cry with them? And you've got to know how to recognize which voice is talking to you, how to be led of the Spirit. That's one of the problems in Christianity is we've tried to turn the Christian life into a formula, into a system. Some of you probably were raised on certain methods of evangelism, and this is the one you're to always use. It's the Roman road, or it's a sure Jesus without fear, or it's evangelism explosion, or it's the four spiritual laws. And we were taught that you just go out and use this. And we never learned how to go out into the witnessing field, if you will, into God's harvest field, being led of the Spirit to know when to speak and when not to speak, and what to say and what not to say. Back in Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 and 19, Jesus, when he called his disciples, said this. Listen, he says, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. We've now become, made becoming fishers of men the focus instead of following Jesus. I believe if you actually learn how to walk with Jesus and you just go out every day without your formula, you're going to see opportunities that God gives. Actually, met a guy named today, named today, a guy today named Trey. Actually, the weather is warm. By the way, for those who are up north, I'm sorry. We play golf year round down here in Florida. I'm not sorry for that. I apologize. I, I, I'm sorry for you. I'm not sorry for me. But after preaching today at the men's luncheon, I realized that if I played nine holes, I could sneak out to my course before tonight. And I did. Because I've been up in New Jersey for the last so many days and it's cold. And I didn't get to swing a golf club for almost 10 days. You know, feel, I was feeling bad for myself too. I appreciate you feeling bad for me as well. But so I snuck off with a buddy of mine and we got paired up with a young man. And I have never heard anybody use the F word like this guy. He was good at it. He wasn't vulgar or anything. It's just, it was just how he talked. And I kept praying the whole time that God would show me how to talk to him. At one point, I thought, I'm going to tell him what I do, because maybe that'll calm the F word down a little bit. Because sometimes that does. People say, oh, I'm really sorry, preacher, you know, blah, blah, blah. So I told him what I do. He goes, F, yeah, that's really cool. <laughs> but I found out on the eighth hole, we only played nine, that he really was interested in history. And then all of a sudden, the Spirit of God says, here's what you tell him. So we're standing on the, on the ninth tee box, my last hole with a guy, and I said, you like history, don't you? He goes, yeah. I go, do you mind if I give you a little project? He said, what's that? I said, why don't you research to find out if Jesus really did rise from the dead? You're going to find out it's the most, most provable event in human history, but most people don't believe it. They don't know it's real. And there have been others who were very learned and very intellectual and very scholarly, and they set out to prove that Jesus didn't rise from the dead, and they became believers because they found out that it's very provable. You like studying history? Go do some research. Tell me if Jesus really rose from the dead. He goes, that actually is kind of exciting to think about. I go, well, you can enjoy it. It's going to be a lot of fun for you. And I was able to just leave it at that. But you have to learn how to be one of these people that knows how to recognize truth from error. The voice of God versus the voice of others who claiming to be God. Spirits that aren't. They're of the Antichrist. 
And folks, there's going to be false prophets. The Bible even says in these last days there's going to be doctrines taught by demons. Well, then I'm just not going to listen to anybody. No, don't despise prophecies. Don't be one of these people that just shuts it all off and I only listen to certain people. No, no, no. God wants to talk to you and he may use people you may not think he would. But you also need to just not assume that everything they say is from God. Hold fast to what's good. Avoid every form of evil. Go to Romans chapter 7. Look at verse 6. We're rele- now we're released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of what? The Spirit. But you notice the Spirit is capitalized? Because that's the Holy Spirit. And not in the old way of the written code. Like I said, there are those who try to take the Bible and just make it a set of rules. And we have God's law, we have God's word, and whatever it says, you just do it. No, 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 be careful. Let the Spirit of God to show you how to understand. In this instance, yes, here's what Paul did here, and I want you to do the same. In others, he's going to say, wait a minute, I want you to kind of do it like it did over here. I shared with you before, in one instance, Paul is uh, dragged outside the city, stoned, left for dead. They think he's dead. And when he comes to, he gets up and walks back into that same city. Yet... This same Paul, in another instance, gets word that there's a death threat against him. And he doesn't have this, I don't care, I'm going into that death threat, don't worry about it. No, he actually gets in a basket, and they sneak him out of a window in the wall, and he escapes. Do you see the danger of trying to take the Bible and turning it into a set of rules? Well, here, Paul snuck, and we're just, we're to get away. The Bible says if you see trouble, we're to avoid it. Yes, it does, but that doesn't mean that there aren't times that God wouldn't say to you, take the beating. There aren't times that God wouldn't say to you, I know that in that instance I had led that person to do this, but if you look over here, I've led others to do this. Go with me to Hebrews chapter 11. In this hall of fame of faith, we're going to look at verse 32 and following. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouth of lions, quenched the power of the fire, escaped the edge of the sword. They were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. And all of these, though commended through their faith, didn't receive what was promised, since God provided something better for us that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. In other words, all the things that God promised them one day to come, they're going to get it when we all get it. But listen to what he says. Some escaped the edge of the sword, others were put to death by the sword, and they were all commended for their faith. We have a tendency in our looking for the formula American way of doing Christianity that if someone escapes the edge of the sword, they did it right. And if someone doesn't escape the edge of the sword, 
they did it wrong. And that's not what the Bible teaches. I know when I went through cancer, and by God's grace, through the chemo and the radiation, God healed me. But I had so many Christians coming up to me in their best interest and thinking they had my best interest to share with me how I could escape this by faith. And they had the formulas and they had the systems. And there were those who would even say that I was wrong for going through chemo and radiation because if I really believed God, I would. And everybody has got a prophecy for me. And I had to learn how to not just reject it because God may say something through them that, I wanna, that he wants me to hear. But at the same time, I were to hold on to what I know the Spirit of God is saying lines up with His Word and what it applies to my life. And I also know how to avoid every form of evil. Now, that's going to be a problem for some of us because, again, we all got opinions on how everybody else ought to live their lives. And if you think you don't, you're lying to yourself. Just have a neighbor that doesn't cut his grass. Or someone that doesn't clean their car as well as you think they should. We all have an opinion on how everybody ought to live their lives. And there, the Bible even talks about those who, who are spiritual, seeing someone caught in a transgression, coming to them and helping them to restore them. And we're not to just ignore people and let people, just, but at the same time, we're to let the Spirit of God lead and direct. And this is a tricky thing. And I'm going to give you from the Scriptures, go with me to Acts chapter 20, a real tricky one. But we're going to see in here a wonderful attitude about the whole deal. In Acts chapter 20, look at verses 22 through 24. Paul's talking now in Acts 20, and he says, And now, behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit. I'm compelled by the Holy Spirit to go to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. By the way, stop real quick. Does that mean now, since the Holy Spirit told Paul that as he went out on mission, that imprisonment and hardship afflicted him, does that mean that everybody that goes on mission will have that happen to him? No. Remember in John 11, sorry, John 21, where Jesus tells Peter how he's going to die? And then, of course, Peter says, well, how's John going to die? And Jesus says, what if I want him to remain alive until I return? What's that to you? You follow me. So Paul says, I'm constrained by the Holy Spirit to go to Jerusalem. He's making me go. He's wanting me to go. And I don't know the specifics, but I know this much. The Holy Spirit said, imprisonment and afflictions await me. And then he says in verse 24, but I don't account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Now, jump over to chapter 21. Look at verse 10. While we were staying for many days, this is in a different town now, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea, and coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands, and he said, Thus says the Holy Spirit. This is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. To make sure you're with me now, Paul's in a different town with a different group of Christians, and a prophet named Agabus comes, takes Paul's belt, ties his own feet and hands, and he says, thus says the Holy Spirit. Here's the prophecy. The Holy Spirit says the owner of this belt will be bound when he goes to Jerusalem. Look at the reaction of the rest of the church. 
Verse 12, when we heard this, we and the people there urged him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, what are you doing weeping and breaking my heart? For I'm ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, let the will of the Lord be done. Now, we got to stop here and let this sink in. Paul hears this prophecy, and the rest of the Christians hear this prophecy, and the Christians that are there say, looks to us like you're not supposed to go. If God says that the owner of the belt's going to be bound and imprisoned if they go to Jerusalem, we think you're not supposed to go. Yet Paul takes the prophecy, and it lines up with what we just read in chapter 20, it is exactly what the Holy Spirit had already been telling him. So it's actually a confirmation that he is still to go to the Jerusalem. And the Christians who didn't agree, after begging, said this, we trust your relationship with the Lord to hear him for yourself. Let the will of the Lord be done. We're still not sure we agree, but we're going to leave that to you and God. I got no problem with people saying, can I share something with you? And I always tell people, I got no problem with you sharing something with me. Actually, I think God uses other believers to speak to each other sometimes. Yet, I will also tell you, if what you tell me doesn't line up with anything that I've been praying about or anything God's been talking to me about, I'm going to chuck it. Because God wouldn't tell you something before he's already told me. Yet, if what you say to me lines up with something the Spirit of God's been talking to me about, I'm going to receive it as from the Lord, and I'm going to... Go from there. Are you with me? Because I'm about to really throw you a curveball. Now go back to Acts 21 and look at verse 3. When we had come in sight of Cyprus, Paul's on this ship, leaving it on the left, we sailed to Syria and landed at Tyre, and for there was a ship to unload its cargo. And having sought out the disciples, we stayed there for seven days. Listen. And through the Spirit, is that a small s or a capital S? Capital S. Through the Holy Spirit, they were telling Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. Now it gets tricky. I even prayed about whether or not I was going to even show you that. Because I wasn't sure if all of you could handle it. But I think you've been studying the Word long enough. And I believe God's able to get us there. And I don't want to avoid any parts of Scripture. It's one thing for us to say, well, I just heard the prophecy, and my interpretation is you're not supposed to go. But Paul says, actually, I understand, but it lines up with what God's telling me, and I'm okay. I can see that misunderstanding. But here, I see your forehead. Through the Holy Spirit, they were telling him not to go. Here's where it gets deep. God may even test whether or not you're really going to listen to him. By having someone tell you something that doesn't line up with what he's already told you. Isn't that crazy? You know the story in the Old Testament about the prophet who was told by God to go give his prophecy, and when you are done, do not stick around, don't eat with that guy, and run home a different way than the way God had you go. Don't stop and eat with anyone. That were his clear instructions. On the way back, this guy says, hey, stop and eat with me. He says, no, sir, God told me. And now later on, a prophet comes out and says, God told me that you could eat with me. And the man listened to the man instead of God. And after he came out from eating with that man, 
A lion killed him and then just stood there. Didn't eat him, just killed him and stood there. Sometimes, as God's teaching us to follow him, he's going to sometimes maybe test whether you're really going to listen. And there may be brothers and sisters who really intentionally think they're right, and you're going to have to hold on to what you believe God has said. And we're not to judge each other, and we're to say, you know what? I so trust that God is able to get us all where he wants us to be. I don't see it. I don't agree. I feel strongly through the Spirit that I'm supposed to tell you no. But if you think it's a yes, I'm leaving that between you and God. Is your God big enough to handle that? I know a lot of preachers that their God's not big enough for that. They want to control the people and they want to determine what the movies they can see and what movies they can and what rating and all this. We want to turn the life of following Jesus back into a formula and a set of rules. By the way, that isn't going to make Israel jealous. So let's go back now to 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 20, see if this doesn't read a little bit more clear. Do not despise prophecies. Be willing to listen, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Jesus had to go through this, did he not? Jesus was led into the wilderness by the Spirit to be tested. The Spirit of God led him into the wilderness to be tested by the devil. And while the devil was there testing him and tempting him, Satan even quoted Scripture. But Jesus knew what was truth and what wasn't. And then later on, while Jesus is not in the wilderness but still being tested, in Matthew 16, he starts telling his disciples that he has to go to the cross because he knew that's what the Father had told him to do and he was following the will of God and the word of God because the prophecies even said that that was going to happen. And Peter takes him aside and begins to rebuke him. But what does Jesus say? Get behind me, Satan. I know who's really talking through you. He wasn't saying Peter was a, a demon-possessed man. Peter had just made his profession of his faith just a few verses earlier. He had become the new creation rock man. But even though he was born again, the, Satan talked through him, trying to dissuade Jesus from what the Father had for him. Now, folks, I, I understand this is graduate-level Christianity here. And there are going to be those who have a real problem with what we're looking at here. But Paul says to these fairly new believers in Thessalonica, wondering if they'd even made it. Remember, he sent Timothy to see if their salvation was real and if they even made it. And he says to them, don't despise prophecies. Test everything. Hold fast to what's good. Abstain from every form of evil. You know why he was able to give them graduate level instruction? Because of the very next verses. Look at verses 23 and following. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. The reason why Paul could give them graduate level instruction here is because he knew Philippians 1.6 that he who begun the good work in them would finish it. He knew the fact that here, that God was going to have him right, that, the, that they may be whole body, soul, and spirit kept blameless till the coming of the Lord. He who has called you is faithful, and he will surely do it. Folks, if we really believe someone's saved, 
we got to believe that that same God that's going to get us there is going to get them there too. In Romans chapter 14, verse 4, he says, Who are you to judge the servant of another? To his own master he stands or falls. Listen, and the Lord is able to make him stand. Does that mean we just leave everybody alone? No, there are going to be times the Spirit of God's going to want us to encourage, to come alongside, to share a word. I've been praying for you. I feel like God wants me to say this to you. But at the same time, we're not going to be upset with them if they say, I don't see it that way. The will of the Lord be done. I feel like I've done what God's asked me to do. Now I'm leaving it between you and him. Oh, by the way, those of you that raised kids, did you not find out until later on the things you said to them that they totally disagreed? Later on, when they have kids of their own, they said, you know what? Now it makes sense. And you were right. In the same way, allow the spirit of God to do his work as well. Folks, we aren't to leave each other alone. We need each other. We're to encourage each other and spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Yet, do not become the Holy Spirit. That's his job. And love each other in the process, knowing that God's going to get them there at his time and in his way, just like he's been patient with us. And we're not the person we were years ago. And we're finally learning things. It took us a while to get there. As I was young, I thought about this as I was preaching to the guys today, this today at lunch. I, I, when I was young, I was full of zeal. I mean, I had a lot of zeal, and some of you remember me when I used to run around here with my underwear hanging out of my boxer, my boxer shorts, hanging out of my regular shorts, and chewing straws. I'm even amazed that Becky would even date me back then, let alone marry me, but I was full of zeal, and I had energy, and I knew I was right. I mean, I used to believe things so strongly, I knew God had to believe them too. I'm a little further down the road now, and I look back and think, man, I didn't know anything. My daughter's about to get married at 30. I was 25 when I got married. And I look at people that were my age. And I remember at my age thinking at 25, man, I have the world figured out. Now I look at someone 25 and I'm thinking, they don't know nothing. And then it hits me. I didn't know anything. I thought I did. But you know what? The younger me at an older age would have thought it was my job to show the younger me all this wisdom. And God says, if you look back over your life, I let you make some good mistakes. And they were a part of my shaping for you. And if you go and don't let them make the mistakes, they'll never learn the things I taught you through the mistakes. See, we want to, I want you to avoid all the problems that I went through. Listen to my wisdom. I'm going to take the role of the Holy Spirit in your life, and I want you to learn from me. Relax. Share what God wants you to share and let the learning of it come from God. Secondly, don't isolate yourself from people and say, I'm not going to listen to nobody because I, no, no, no. Don't despise prophecies. You need each other. Let people share with you. Their intentions are good. You know, I had, like I say, I had lots of people coming to share with me their opinions on how I should respond to my cancer and how I should treat it and all this stuff. And I listened. But at the same time, I also listened. And I let him guide me. I'm grateful that their hearts were well-intentioned. Don't you think Peter's intentions were good when he said, no, Lord, we don't want that? At the same time, don't you think the people of the church there, when Agabus came and tied his own hands and took Paul's belt, don't you think those people's intentions were good when they said, don't go to... Don't you think the people there in that one town through the Holy Spirit telling Paul not to go to Jerusalem, don't you think their intentions were good? Love each other as you listen to the Spirit of God. And don't judge each other whether or not they are where you are 
in your walk with the Lord. Go to John chapter 14. Look at verses 15 through 20. Jesus is teaching his disciples. He's just had the Lord's Supper, as we call it now, and the Passover meal as they knew it. And he's now teaching his disciples. Judas has gone to betray him. And he's teaching his disciples about the coming and dwelling Holy Spirit. In verse 15, he says, If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And I'll ask the Father, and he'll give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'll come to you. And yet a little while, the world will see me no more, but you'll see me. Because I live, you also will live. And in that day, you'll know that I'm in my Father, and you're in me, and I'm in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it you'll manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, He'll keep my word and my father will love him and will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever doesn't love me doesn't keep my words. And the word you hear is not mine, but the father who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I'm still with you. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and will bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. You see it? Jesus says, the Holy Spirit is going to come. I'm not going to leave you as orphans. God is going to send, the Father is going to send you another, just like me, helper to be with you forever. And he's going to be in you. And when he comes in you, he's going to teach you and lead you. John chapter 16, look at verse 12. Jesus says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he'll guide you into all the truth. For he'll not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he'll speak and he'll declare to you the things that are to come. He'll glorify me for he's going to take what's mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine, therefore I'll say he'll take what is mine and declare it to you. Jesus here said, look, I got more to share with you, but I'm relaxed on that because the Holy Spirit, who's going to come live within you, he'll show you when it's time. And just because you and I think it's time for someone to know something doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit thinks it's time for them to know something. Now, if you feel like God's led you to share, share and leave the timing of the learning and accepting and whether they accept, whether it's from God, leave that to the Lord. Do you realize how much more fun we'd be, be to be around if we didn't feel so judged by people? i got to be honest with you. That's been one of the biggest struggles I've had in my life in Christianity, let alone the fact that God made me a pastor. I spent most of my life worrying what everybody's opinions have been. Why? Because I grew up in a church and churches that were judgmental. I mean, we were told to judge whether or not somebody was, lady was wearing pants or dress. Or whether or not they had too much makeup. Or whether or not a guy was wearing a tie and a suit. And we grew up in all this era of Christians judging other Christians, trying to play the Holy Spirit when we were supposed to just be a group of people that took the Lord's Supper together regularly to remember Jesus died for us. And the reason he died for us is because we're all sinners and we all need a Savior. And we're all learning this whole thing together. But he lives within each of us and he just tells us to love each other in the process and he'll get us there and he's going to use us in each other's lives, but not always today. Boy, you hang around with a group of people like that that really love each other and believe God's going to get us where he wants them to be and get us where he wants us to be, that'll be a group of people you want to hang out with because they do care. They don't just let you live your life on your own. They do care. Yet, if they 
Well, I love how Paul said in Philippians 3, when he said, forgetting what's behind and straining toward what's ahead. If anyone's mature, they'll think this way. And I love what he says next. And if in anything you think differently, the Lord will show that to you. The reason why Paul could give them graduate level instruction here to a new group of believers is because he believed that he who began the good work will finish it. And he who began the work is also going to be able to keep us completely body, soul, and spirit blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus, that he'll do it. Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, we're to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. But you know why? Because it's God who's going to work in us to will and to act according to his good purpose. Jude 24 and 25, Jude finishes his letter by saying, Now to him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you spotless and with great joy. To him be glory forever and ever. You know what's really cool? Is when we really believe that God's going to get so-and-so there. You may have a spouse that you think needs to be there. Well, according to your definition of there. Why don't you hand them over to the Lord? And if God has you share something, do it. If he doesn't, don't. But Jim, I, I see a lot of things that I just know they could sure l l learn and that they sure need to know. That's true, but that doesn't mean you're supposed to say it. That's why we're to be quick to listen and slow to speak. Does whoever it is that God's going to have you speak to know that you really love them before you share with them anything that might be a rebuke or a correction or a teaching? Do they really know you really do care? And if they disagree with what you just share with them, that isn't going to change how you view them at all? Or do they see you as someone that's going to judge whether or not they that you listen to them? And then Paul, in verse 25, acknowledges the power of other believers praying for each other, and he asks for it. Before you share a prophecy with somebody, have you prayed for them? Have you prayed that God would show you if you're to say it or whether or not? Have you prayed that it would be received in the way God would want it received? Is your heart for that person? Look at verse 25. He says, brothers, pray for us. Why in the world would he say pray for us? I mean, he's an apostle. I mean, he's, he's got to have a closer walk with God. No, Paul's just as frail as anybody else. His apostleship is just the role that he had been given and a responsibility had been given. And the, the, by the way, if you, you think you need to be praying for some people, you better be preaching and praying for those people that are in authority over you in the church. Because you think you're getting attacked by the enemy? You want to take out all the pins when you go bowling? You don't aim for that one on the right, even though that's the one we always hit. I always joke when we go bowling and they only hit one pin on the end. We think that's the hardest pin to hit and not hit any of that. That's amazing. But that's not the one you were aiming for. You're aiming for the head pin because you know if you hit the head pin, you can actually take down a whole lot more. Folks, pray for those who are in authority over you in the church. Oh, the Bible even says pray for those who are in authority over you in your government. Well, Jim, don't get into politics. No, I'm not getting into politics. I'm getting into the Bible. Amen. Pray for those who have been given the role of leadership in our government. Well, I'll pray for the ones I like. I'll pray for the ones I'm voting for. No, that's not what the Bible says. Go to Hebrews chapter 13. 
Look at verse 17 and through 19. Hebrews 13, verses 17 through 19. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they're keeping watch over your souls as those who'll have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that'd be of no advantage to you. Pray for us, for we're sure that we have a clear conscience, desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you the sooner. So whoever the Hebrew writer is at this time is somehow being restrained or held back from going to visit them and check on them. And he says, pray for us. We have a clear conscience, but pray that God would be able to do in and through us what he desires and the enemy wouldn't win. You might have grandkids that aren't with the Lord right now. They might have trusted the Lord at one time or at least prayed a prayer. You don't know where their heart really is. But you know what? They may run from you and your emails and your phone calls. And by the way, sometimes we grandparents do more damage to the kingdom than we do good by saying you ought to be in church, you ought to be in church, you ought to be in church, trying to play the Holy Spirit. Do your grandkids know you love them no matter what or only if they go to church? But let me say this to you. They may be able to outrun you and your phone calls and your texts or whatever, but they can't outrun your prayers. I remember a police officer one time was chasing this guy. The guy had a fast car. And the police officer actually just kind of eased up on the chase. And the other guy in the front seat was like, why are you letting him go? He's faster than me, the police officer said. But I ain't worried about it. You know why? He pulls out his radio. He goes, he's not faster than this. And calls somebody else. He could outrun me, but he's not going to outrun the radio. He might run the radio, but he ain't going to run the helicopter. Pray for your kids. Pray for your grandkids. It's time that we actually begin to live the Christian life of walking with the Lord, listening to the Lord, testing the spirits, knowing what the Word says, so we'll be able to recognize whether or not what we're hearing is truth. That's why the Bible says in Ephesians 4, 11 through 16, that God gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, so that we all grow up into Him who is the head. But I skipped over some verses. As much as I'm supposed to have you grow up into Jesus, not follow me or, well, this is what Jim teaches and that's what I believe. No, I want you to grow up into Jesus so you know him and know him personally and know how to be led by him and enjoy the walk with him. Listen, the verses I skipped over said, so then we'll no longer be infants tossed to and fro by every wind of teaching and cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful schemes. Paul didn't say, listen, um, you've got to set up your paperwork so that false teachers don't trip people up. He said, teach them the word and how to know Jesus, and that will take care of it. In Acts chapter 20, verses 28 and following, Paul says to the Ephesian elders, I know that after I leave, savage wolves are going to come in among the flock, not sparing the flock, and they're going to lead disciples after themselves. And I commit you to God and the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance. Folks, take a deep breath. He who has called you is faithful. He'll surely do it. Well, Jim, I just don't see it happening. Hey, I didn't say he'd do it on your time and your schedule. There's more that you're able to bear right now. That's why for years I've said, don't sing I surrender all, thinking you're supposed to surrender everything. Today you can't do it. Why don't you surrender the thing he's talking to you about? And if that takes you a few weeks to get there, God's okay. He's more interested in you getting there than how soon you get there. We're not going to turn there, but in Acts chapter 12, when Peter was released from prison, what was going on 
in the church at that time? Does anybody know? They were praying for him. They had gathered together to pray for Peter to be released from prison. I love this, by the way. This blows all this health and wealth. And if you just believe it enough, God has to do it. Theology out the water. So they're praying for him to be released. God not only releases him, he miraculously releases him. The chains just fall off. The doors fly open. The guards don't even wake up. He's not even sure it's real. He gets up and he thinks he's in a dream. But when he gets outside the city and the gates shut behind him, he then realizes, no, that really did just happen. So he goes to the door of the house where they're praying and he knocks on the door and Rhoda answers. The Bible says her name is Rhoda. Rhoda answers and when she realizes it's Peter at the door, she leaves him out there. And she runs into the prayer meeting and says, Peter's outside. And this group of people that were praying for him to release, be released said, no, he ain't. Maybe that's his ghost, you know. They weren't praying in faith. They were praying, though, and God moved. You don't even have to pray perfectly. Go to James chapter 5. You're in Hebrews. Go to James chapter 5. Look at verses 13 through 16. Is there anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is there anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray. By the way, remember our study of James, that means it's a, fic, it, it, it's a weakness spiritually. Call alongside the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord, and the prayer of faith will save the one who's sick, and the Lord will raise him up, and if he's committed sins, he'll be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Then he goes on and he says, Elijah was a man with nature just like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it's working. Well, Jim, you just said, I don't even have to believe it. And listen, there's where even more power, though, in those who believe. There's even more power and those who are living righteously. Because as you're praying and you're living righteously, God can deal with what you're praying about and he doesn't have to work on you first. Sometimes when we're praying to God and we're not living righteously, God says, yeah, I am working on that. But right now, now that you're talking to me, can I talk to you? But for if you're living as God wants and you're walking in the spirit and you're keeping in step with the spirit and God leads you to pray and you do, he moves because it's not a prayer time to shape you, it's a prayer time to move. Oh, by the way, when we pray, and God moves, who gets the credit? God. God. Now, as we start to wrap up tonight, go back to 1 Thessalonians 5. He says something here that he doesn't say just once. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. Then he says, I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. What I want to do is in closing tonight as we wrap up this book is to look at that greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. We're going to do this fast, so get your fingers ready. Romans 16, verse 16. There's something here that I can't wait to show it to, and all of a sudden when you see it, you're going to go, well, that makes a ton of sense. Romans 16, 16. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Look at verse 20. 
All the brothers send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. 2 Corinthians 13, 12. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Go to 1 Peter 5. It's not just Paul. 1 Peter chapter 5. Look at verse 14. First Peter 5, verse 14 says this. Greet one another with the kiss of love. Now, how come so many times that's wonderful and great? And it's a married couple. I'm glad you do it and hope you do it more. But that's not what we're talking about. <laughs> but I love the fact that you took the opportunity. I respect that a lot. Because whenever you have that chance to say to your wife, well, God says I'm supposed to kiss you, do it. <laughs> All right. And then she has to test the prophecy whether or not it's from God. But let me just go with this. Let me say this to you. This was important. Because physical contact is needed amongst believers. Now. We don't greet this way as much as they did back in those days. If you've ever been to a foreign country, especially over in the Middle East, man, they're like kissing and they're very emotional and they'll kiss you on both cheeks and all that stuff. But we here in America, we're huggers for the most part. Now, again, you need to double check and make sure someone's comfortable with it. You don't just say, well, the Bible says, and no, no, let the Spirit show you when to hug and when not to hug. But I'm going to encourage you, hug each other. Have you ever said to somebody, as you knew they were going to visit somebody that you knew, you'd say what? Hug them for me. And I love when I'm on a preaching trip and someone that knows Becky and she's not on the trip with me that time, they'll say, would you give Becky a hug for me? And I always grin because that means I get to hug her more than once now. And I'll say, this one's from Barbara. This one's from me. Kind of like you guys just did. But we need the touch. Do you know there are some people out there who live single lives who really don't get a whole lot of physical contact? And actually, that's a way that we can share, I not only care for you, I love you, and I pray for you. Again, make sure that the Spirit is the one doing it. I remember when I was younger, I used to see that verse about greet one another with a holy kiss, and there were a couple of girls I thought, hey, there's my opening. No, that's not that. But at the same time, don't be afraid to let people know you love them with a hug. With a hug. Especially in this day and age in which everybody's isolating. Folks, I do love you. If you want to hug me after the Bible study, I'm up here. I'll come meet you where you are. I love you a lot. I really do. And I look forward to us jumping into 2 Thessalonians when we get back together next week. Let's let this big, awesome, loving God get us all there in his timing. How about that? I love you. Thanks for coming.